Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Well, hey there. Good morning, church. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. If you're joining, for all, you are joining us online. Uh, really just uh, excited to be here. If you guys don't know who I am, my name is Mike. I'm the Worship and Connections Pastor, and uh, final wardrobe change of the day for you here. So... Uh, but really just excited to be bringing you God's word in uh, kind of a different way than what I normally do. Um, so uh, I had this whole great thing planned out to uh, to kind of have some crowd participation. So I'm going to ask for your participa- participation here online if you're joining us here today. Um, do I have any hikers here that are on online joining us today? Any hikers? So, all right. So if you are a hiker, go ahead and like this or say I am. Um, I'm not sure exactly what we're going to hear, but so a few short weeks ago, I actually went on, I had the privilege, the privilege of going on a 15 mile hike. Um, I guess I can say privilege, kind of funny there. Uh, so this hike was at, at the state park in Ohio. It was uh, called East Fork State Park. Um, and this all happened in one day. So you see, you see the picture there. Um, that's me and my father-in-law as we were crossing the river. We had to roll up our pants and, uh, I had, I had to get a nice pair of Crocs as I was, uh, <laughs> walking across this river here. So, but, um, so this, you know, and, and just before we get carried away here, I'm not a hiker. I'm never really, it's not something that's really crossed my mind to do. Uh, and you know, it maybe, especially now, since I have four kids who are like young, uh, the, the thought of taking them on a hike, having to maybe even, you know, to carry one or two of them and maybe one of them jumping off a cliff, it's probably just not really something that has been on my agenda. Now, when I was younger, my parents took us to, uh, this, to Hocking Hills, uh, uh, out to Old Man's Cave, and we would, we would go hiking there, but that was probably more along the lines of sightseeing, seeing some nice little trickling waterfalls and some, some sights, but it really wasn't actually hiking, so. You know, so this this hike actually happened um, just a few short weeks ago. My, my family and I, we took a trip to Cincinnati to see some family I hadn't seen in a really long time, thanks to COVID. Um, and, you know, come to find out during this time that my father-in-law was going to be going on this three-day hike. Um, but the only problem was I wanted to spend some more time with him, but he was going to go on this three-day hike, and we're only going to be there for four days. So my wife suggested, uh, thanks for that, uh, that uh, I joined them for at least one of these days. So she asked your dad if I could join them, and, and he said yes, but he wanted to call me with the details. So right away I'm getting the sense that this hike is a little bit more, uh, uh, more something that is going to be serious. And so he gives me a call, um, and we go over these said details, and, and they're things like, you know, what kind of gear are you going to need, uh, what to expect during this hike, um, and also kind of giving me the 411 on who is going to be on this hike with us. Now, let's remember, let's flash back here. I am not a hiker. My equipment was minimal. Luckily, my father-in-law was able to, to kind of fill in the gaps, give me a nice pair of, of hiking pants. Apparently, that's a thing. Uh, a nice day pack, uh, something that I could carry some snacks and everything in. And uh, I looked, I had a pair of boots that was were sufficient enough. The party couldn't help me out with, though, was the stamina that it would take to walk uh, 15 miles as it was. So, um, I don't know if you guys know this about me or not, 
Uh, if, if you know me well enough, you know that I don't like to work out. It's just not something that I like to do. I like to try to blame it on the fact that I used to play baseball at a high level and they used to make me work out all the time. But in all reality, I'm just lazy. I, uh, you know, I just don't like doing it. So, so I was really unsure that if I was going to be able to make it the entire day of the hike. So the day of the hike comes, everybody's really encouraging that's there. And to say, hey, don't worry, man, you, you got this. You can do it. You can do it. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about the people that I was going on this hike with. Had a guy on the on the air that was with us that um, he had hiked the Appalachian Trail. And that's pretty serious. And he's also the same guy likes to travel to foreign countries and, and hike and hitchhike and stay in hostels and, and different things like that. So he's like a serious, like seasoned hiker. There was another group there of people who were there. Uh, who had hiked this trail. It's called the Camino de Santiago Trail. It's, it goes from Spain to France. And it's about a 500-mile trail that takes you a little bit more than a month to walk. And they, they had done it, I think, twice. Or at least one of them had done it twice. So, And then you had my father-in-law and his friend who were there, and a couple of others who, who had been training for this for months. So what I'm trying to get at here is that here I am, a 31-year-old man out of shape, and I was in the presence of hikers who were way, way out of my league. I really had no business being there. And I, I'm happy to say that I was able to make it all 15 miles. Thank you, youth and, de, and determination. Um, but, but what I really want to ask you this is this question. Have you ever felt unqualified? Have you ever felt unqualified? Now today we're going to be looking at a story in the Bible uh, where Jesus called his first disciples, which was uh, Simon and Andrew and James and John and Zebedee. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to that right now. Uh, but before we dive into that scripture, let's kind of take a look back uh, and see what's going on prior to this. So back in Luke chapter 4. Um, so at this point, Jesus has started to gain quite a following in his ministry. Um, he... Uh, Luke actually tells us in the verses before this that he had re- recently driven out some demons. He had recently uh, was been healing people right and left. And then he was at Simon's house uh, where his mother-in-law was had a, a fever. And it was must have been a bad fever. You know, and they didn't have Tylenol back then, so it wasn't like they could just heal it. Like, here's some Tylenol. It'll, it'll reduce your fever. You'll be fine. No, this, like, it was a fever. And what does Jesus do? Well, he comes in. And he sees her there, and he, he rebukes the fever, and it goes away. And then she immediately gets up and starts to serve them. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if, I, had, if I was sick enough to have a fever, I wouldn't get up right away after that fever was gone and start serving people dinner. That's, this is not something I do. So that in itself is amazing. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. What does he do? Well, he continues to go and heal more people and cast out more demons and, and keeps rebuking them. And so you have to imagine that, that if you were there, you would be amazed at what you were seeing. And you have to imagine that at some point, Simon, or as we know him as also as Peter, was a witness to all this. So eventually they all part ways. Uh, Jesus goes on and continues to heal more people, and he actually tries to get to a deserted place because he's probably just trying to get to, to a place where Jesus liked to be alone so he could talk to his father. Then Peter, or Simon, he goes, and his trade is a fisherman. He's a fisherman. So fishermen fish at night, 
So that's where he went. He went to go home, went to, went to fish. So, you know, and I like to imagine though, as we're, as we're here starting in verse one, Luke chapter five, verse one, uh, this is after a long night of fishing. And you, you have to imagine like, you know, that he's, these are some tired, weary, and frustrated fishermen because as we will read, they didn't catch anything at all. So let's start here. We're going to be in Luke chapter five, uh, verse one. We're going to read through to, uh, verse 11. So let's read this. It says, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Jacinaret. I hope I pronounced that right. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and we've caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John Zebedee's sons who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. Then they brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. They left everything, and they followed him. All right, so let's, let's break this down real quick. So it's the morning time. Fishermen are done fishing. Jesus is, is teaching people like he did, and he's by this lake. And, and about the time that Jesus is probably getting to the main point of his sermon, everybody's kind of leaning in and trying to hear what he's saying. And Jesus realizes that he's getting out of room. So he turns and he sees these fishermen who are washing their nets, and he sees a boat, and he gets into one. You know, I like to think, and this is only pure speculation, but I like to think that Jesus specifically chose this place to preach because he knew that Simon and his crew were going to be there. Either way, though, so, you know, he, he specifically chooses Simon's boat to be the one that he gets in. And he asks Simon to get it out a little bit from the land so he can continue to teach. So when he finishes teaching, he turns to Simon and he says, hey, let's go fishing again. I had a pretty, I had a pretty good dad joke to, that, you know, maybe this was the first ever recorded game of Go Fish, but I'll kind of spare you guys that. Um, but in all, in all, in all seriousness, Simon is an experienced fisherman and Jesus is not. Some say by trade in his life that Jesus was, he was either a carpenter or a stonemason or, you know, he was, he was a great teacher or rabbi. You know, you can take your pick on either of those, but none of those had the title of fisherman. But instead of questioning Jesus, what does Simon do? He, well, he politely tells Jesus, Hey, Jesus, I've been out all night and I have caught nothing. But you know what? Since you asked, since I've seen you do all these miracles and everything, maybe, I'll go out and do it again. Well, I'll go let the nets down. So, so he takes the, these nets that, keep in mind, they had just finished fishing for the night or for the day or whatever. 
And they were cleaning out their nets. So they had to do the hard work of getting their nets back into the boat and then the hard work of going out into the deep water. So that's, a, that's kind of a lot of trust to be for somebody who's not a fisherman. And then what happens? He, gets, he catches the haul of a lifetime. Like Everybody was amazed at the amount of fish that Simon and his crew were able to catch. Now, if, if that would have been something that would happen to me, like say, so I'm a pastor, right? So say somebody, uh, I, at one point, I have 3,000 people, just to pick a number, who come and want to be baptized. Like, that would be kind of something similar, something like, well, this is amazing. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. This is the biggest success that I've ever had at my job. Maybe where your, your job is at right now, think of the best thing that's ever happened to you or that could happen to you in a job, and that happens. You would feel joy. You would feel happiness because you were successful. That's not what Simon does, though, here. He falls to his knees and he tells Jesus, like, go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. See, I think what happens here is that Simon, or Peter, sees this haul of fish and he, he thinks that he doesn't, it's, he doesn't deserve it. He feels maybe unqualified for this. And there's actually a few more moments here that I want to kind of hop into here as, um, in this passage of scripture. There's something, some things I'd like us to take note of here. Okay, so let's look at, uh, verses four and five here. So this is Luke chapter five, verses four and five. Let's read this out. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let your, let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. So let's just to reiterate this point. Simon had been fishing all night. That's because that's when fishermen fished. That's when the fish were biting was at night. That was the best time to fish, not during the day. And he had caught nothing. And here's this guy coming to him saying, hey, you need to go fishing again. It's like, Jesus, it's during the day. The fish are not biting right now. And also, who are you to tell me what to do? Because you're not a fisherman. That's how he could have reacted. But, but as we see here, he reacts a different way. You know, the thing I love here uh, the most is the fact that, you know, maybe Jesus, by worldly standards, was unqualified to tell this fisherman how to fish. Simon Peter obeys him. He obeys him, and he, and he does what Jesus asks him to do. I think his obedience here, it shouldn't go unnoticed. I mean, how many of us, if someone came up and told you how to do your job, say if you're an engineer and a music teacher comes up and tells you how to fix that particular problem that's going on, you're probably going to look at that person like they're crazy. Like, you, you teach music. You can't tell me what to do. I think we can learn something here, though, because regardless of that, we see that Simon obeys Jesus, and then what happens? He has blessings beyond measure. You know, Simon, but, all right, let's look at his response here, though. His, whole, his response to a hall of a lifetime is to get on his knees and to tell Jesus to go away. Now, I don't think he's trying to be rude here. But what I think is happening is that Simon Peter has a past. You know, it's no secret that if you go throughout the Gospels that, that Peter was the, one of the most outspoken disciples. He was the first one that speak up to say, yes, you are the Son of God. He was the first one to cut a guy's ear off. He was the first one to speak up. 
I think what Jesus sees, though, is he doesn't see Simon's past. He sees his passion. And he knows that it's going to be useful to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. I believe that Jesus sees his passion and knows that it will serve the kingdom well. So, you know, but Simon is only thinking of his past. You know, it says right here in verse 8, Get away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. Simon had a past and he felt unqualified. Maybe even unworthy. But Jesus' response to him, maybe it was disruptive. It was something that he wasn't expecting. He looked at him and he said, don't be afraid, Simon, because from now on, you'll be catching people. And what did they do in response to that? They left everything and followed him. That means that they left their, their boats that they had spent who, who knows how much money on to maintain and their nets. Oh, by the way, the fish, they left everything. They didn't even take that to town and, and get the money from it. They just left and they followed him immediately. And something else to note here, speaking of following Jesus. Um, so, just in case you were wondering, Jesus was Jewish. Yes, he, he was Jewish. Maybe, yes, he was the Messiah, the coming Messiah, he was the Savior of the world. But, but when he entered the earth, when, he, when God became flesh and dwelt among us, it was amongst a Jewish community. Jesus was a Jewish man born to a devout Jewish family who, who was, uh, they circumcised him on the eighth day. They recognized and they observed all the Jewish festivals and all the Jewish pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Uh, Jewish culture tells us that when Jesus was five, well, actually growing up from an infant till he was five, that his parents' job was to teach him the, the Hebrew alphabet. At about the, the age of five, Jesus would have went to school at the local synagogue where he would be learning from what we know as the Old Testament. They, they kind of broke it up, the Jew, Jewish people broke it up into three different kind of books. It was the, the Torah, which was the law, and then they had uh, the prophets and then... They also had, uh, I think it's like the stories or the, I can't exactly remember, but that was like the, the Psalms and the Songs of Solomon and all that stuff. So it was divided into three sections. So they would go at the age of five to about the age of 15 is when uh, they would kind of take two different paths. They could either continue their education, we can call it rabbi school if you want to call it that, or they would go and these were, you know, they would go and have a trade. So they would be a, fish, a fisherman or a carpenter or a sew mason or whatever they would happen to be. Only the brightest of the brights would continue on the what we're calling, we can call it rabbi school if you want to call it that. And they would study more under a rabbi. And eventually, by around the age of 30, they could become a rabbi in their own right and start teaching people. And so the education that I'm talking about here right now, it's, it's, it's a little, it's different than what we imagine it as today in our Western culture. It's not, they didn't study math and science and, you know, they, sure they learned how to read and write, but they, they committed the Bible to memory. The, everything that they did was centered around the Bible or the Hebrew Bible that they knew. And the ones that weren't able to do so, the ones who weren't the brightest students around the age of 15, they would discontinue their education and then they would go become fishermen 
or stonemasons, carpenters, whatever, they would go to a trade. So as Jesus is starting his earthly ministry, one of the things that he needs is followers. He needs disciples, people who can study under him and teach him. And as we just talked about, according to the Jewish culture, those were the brightest of the brights. Those were the best of the best. They weren't fishermen. They weren't zealots. They weren't tax collectors. You know, the very fact that the first disciples that Jesus called and that they were fishermen, it took everything that a first century Jew would have known from day one and it would have completely disrupted what they, the way they thought of things. Like, hold on, Jesus, that's not how it works. You're supposed to actually choose these people from this school because those are the ones that are supposed to be disciples to follow you. It took everything that they knew and it blew it up. You know, the, and another note about the first, the first disciples or the, the disciples, um, they were probably anywhere from 13, the age of 13 to 20. They weren't, um, you know, men who had it all together. They were probably, you know, 13 to 20. And, you know, and I don't know about you, but when I was around that age, I, I definitely know I didn't have everything together in my life. And I have to imagine that, that they didn't either. You because, know, I mean, as they were being told by their culture, you are not supposed to be following a rabbi. So I imagine that they, they knew this, and maybe they felt unqualified too. You know, they weren't, they weren't, according to their culture, they weren't worthy to be studying under even a teacher, but let alone like the best teacher that's ever been there. So this brings me back to this. Let me ask you again. Have you ever felt unqualified. I have to think that Simon and the other first disciples, that they did. You know, they were, they were sent away to become fishermen. They weren't supposed to be studying under Jesus. But what I'm really trying to drive home is the fact that Jesus used ordinary people by worldly standards, that people that weren't supposed to do this, and he changed the world with them. He flipped the world upside down. You know, a few years ago, this is probably honestly more than a few years ago, uh, I used to play baseball. I used to play, um, you know, God blessed me with this, this ability and this gift to, to throw a ball decently hard and decently consistent. Um, but this led to a scholarship to play ball in college. This led to... Uh, me being drafted and to play professional baseball with the Pirates organization. You know, for me, my life was, was baseball. I ate, slept, breathed, thought, did everything baseball. All the decisions that I made were filtered through the lens of how can I further my baseball career. If you, as you can imagine, I was pretty selfish. You know, one of the things that got lost in that was God. I... You know, I, within the pursuit of baseball, I let God take a back seat. You know, I stopped going to church in college, you know, at least consistently, because that, you know, that didn't really fit well with my schedule. And I, and I had gone to church religiously, like every Sunday. There was, I remember multiple Sundays where I would come dressed in my baseball uniform. That's how committed I was to going to church. But I stopped doing that. Now, since I'm standing here today and I'm a pastor, I can tell you that my baseball career didn't quite work out that well. Um, you know, I, I didn't make a career out of it. You know, I was eventually released by the Pirates. 
And then I tried, tried to do a, a couple of other teams, get on with a couple of other teams, and kind of bounced around independent league ball, and eventually wound up at rock bottom, living with back in with my parents. You know, and, and I, I'm a college graduate, so I, I have a college degree, but I'm back at home with my parents without a job at rock bottom. But then this is the time when God showed back up in my life. Well, he was never, he didn't show back up, he was always there. But God showed up. He began working through me, or on me, in a mighty way, uh, through serving a church. So I, I started out um, just, you know, playing playing on one of the worship teams. I would literally get to the back corner of the stage and hope nobody would see me as I was playing my acoustic guitar. That's kind of where I was at. But then eventually it led to me leading worship and, um, and, and just attending church on Sundays. And as I, as I found uh, healing and restoration, I found it be- only because I was, at, I was at church and I was serving and because God wanted to meet me there. And so, you know, and as I continued to dive deeper into God's word, a couple of, of life events happened uh, at this point for me. So first off, I met my wife. Uh, her mom came up to me one Sunday after, after a worship set and, and uh, made the, the connection there. And uh, I got to meet Holly. And six months later, we were married. Um, another thing that happened at this point was the church where we were at, they hired a, a worship pastor to try to bring a little stability. Uh, at that point, we had like three different worship teams. And so he, he was going to be there to provide a little stability to our system. But the thing with that to note about this is that this, this worship pastor that they hired, he saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. You know, a few months later, uh, Holly and I, have, we were married, and things were, I was serving more at church, and, and he asked us, uh, hey, I have a, a small group, a community group, I want you guys to be a part of it, come on and do this. So we started doing that, which eventually led to him giving me a little bit more responsibilities, which wasn't just... Like on Sunday morning, leading worship or leading communion or anything like that. It was like, hey, uh, in small group, I want you to pray out loud in front of people, which was to me was something that was completely like out of my comfort zone at that time. I want you to, to run, to lead this community group. I'm going to have you uh, read the questions. I started to see through this time that, that God was speaking to me through him. And he was speaking to me so much that I started to feel the call in my life to be in ministry vocationally full-time. I didn't really know what that was going to look like, but I had to trust God. This led to an internship at that church, which eventually led to me being on part-time at that church, which eventually led me to right here where I am now talking to you. I was probably the mo- likely the most unqualified person to be handed something like that, but but God saw it differently. He saw me differently. Now here's what this, this all boils down to. Here's what I want us to really take hold of and grab onto this week. You are qualified through Jesus and by the cross. You are qualified through Jesus and by the cross. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. It doesn't matter that maybe everyone in your life could not see you the way that God sees you. What matters is that Jesus, 
will always see something in you. Something that you don't even see yourself. And no matter what this world will try to label you, you are more than the words that they can use against you. You know, if we would go by my past and by the things that I've done, I'm probably the most unqualified person right now to be teaching you from the Word of God. But it's only by His grace and by His mercy and by the blood of Jesus that I have been saved and redeemed and called to a higher purpose. It's all because of Jesus. He wants to use you. I mean, could you imagine how great your life would be or could be if you would just get out of your own way and let God lead you? Let maybe God disrupt you? Let him show you your purpose. Friend, you are qualified through Jesus and by the cross. You know, when Jesus took that cross upon his back and he marched up the Calvary or was marched up the Calvary, and he took the nails from us, he once and for all, as he was doing that, said that what he thinks of you is the thing that should matter the most. It's, it's the, the thing that should drive your steps in the morning. It's the thing that should cut through the hardest times of your life. Because of what Jesus did for you, because we are called child by the creator of the universe, you are qualified to be used by him. This has nothing to do with you, obviously, but it has everything to do with him and the, what God wants to, to use you like. God wants to use you in a mighty way. He wants to use you in a mighty way. And if you let him do that, you will see that that's exactly what he wants to do. So here's, here's how I think we can truly live this out this week. One of the, we can call it our action step for the week. Surrender to Jesus. Real simple, right? Uh, if you're if you're a Christ follower, then then I'm just going to encourage you right now to surrender Him again. Surrender to Him again. Just because you surrendered to Jesus one time and were baptized by immersion, however many years ago it was, doesn't mean that you have to stop surrendering to Jesus now because you did it one time. You have to do it every day and then continue to do it again and again and again. Sometimes multiple times a day. And if you don't know who Christ is, if you're if you're tuning in right now, and you don't know who Jesus is, and you're still searching to see who he is, then I just encourage you at this time to, we're on the, there on the stream on the, on the comments, or you can just text our number, uh, the connect to 260-327-4376. If you text that number there, we'll get a hold of you. And we want to have a conversation with you because we want to show you what surrendering to King Jesus is like. And how it can change your life, how it can disrupt your life in a good way. Uh, and if you've been out there right now and, you've, and you're thinking that you need a deeper connection, then maybe community groups are, some, are a good place for you to start. It's a place where you can get together with, with people who maybe are like you, maybe are, are completely different than you. But you, you can get together and you can bear one another's burdens because we believe that life is better together. So we can bear one another's burdens in these community groups. If you've been thinking, you know, that maybe God wants to use me in this specific way to further his kingdom. Maybe there's, there's a particular ministry that I want to be a part of. Maybe there's a, um, maybe there's something out there that, that I want to do that I feel being led to do, but my heart keeps telling me that I'm unqualified to do that. Don't believe that lie. 
Don't believe that lie. You are qualified. You are qualified. God wants to use you, and he wants to use you in a mighty way. Jesus took a group of fishermen, a zealot, a tax collector, and everybody in between, and what did he do? He changed the world. We're still talking about it 2,000 years later because he did that, because he used ordinary people just like you, just like me, and he wants to continue to do that. Don't tell yourself the lie that you are unqualified. Just in case you're wondering, you have been deemed qualified by the almighty, powerful creator of the universe. Don't sell yourself short this week. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And we remember in this time that you have called us your children, that you have called us qualified to spread your news, to spread your good news throughout the ends of the earth. Father, this, this world is, is full of, of hate. It's full of things that, that make us feel that we'll never measure up. Father, I, I just pray against that and pray that you show us this week how you want to use us. Father, if you're, if you're already using us, then I just pray that you continue to help us Live that out. Father, help us to remember that we have been deemed qualified. And it was through your son, Jesus, through you sending him down, through him dying the death that we deserve, taking the penalty of our sin on his back. And we thank you that you give us hope through his resurrection. Father, you want to use us, and you want to use us in a mighty way. And I just pray that you allow us to not believe the lie this week that you do not want to use us. We thank you so much again, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.